first who have laid eyes upon the new messiah. Now, an enemy from his past. Who appointed you executioner? And a girl from the present. Do you know what he's capable of? Next time he's gonna kill me. I'll not let him harm you. Are the only hope for the future. The terrifying adventure that could set the world on fire. Warlock. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. My name is Jeremy. We're here today to talk about X-Men number 30, the March 1967 issue. Yeah, and this one's called The Warlock Wakes. And it's got a dude who's firing a blast from his hands towards Cyclops. And he's got like a he's got like a Lucky Charms cape on. <laughs> it's got stars and moons and uh, well no clovers. Saturn's on there though. Yeah. So, you know, and they're the the X Men are all flying through or descending through what looks like a castle or a cellar door. So I can only assume that Warlock is what's behind that mystery door we've been hearing so much about lately. I have a feeling you're probably wrong. Adam. <laughs> <laughs> um, then I can only assume that this is the head of Factor 3. Well, <laughs> let's see, shall we? I just want to clear this up. I mean, we're there's still a Factor 3 storyline going on, right? That wasn't resolved last issue at all, was it? Yes, there are two unresolved storylines. We have Factor 3 and the Mystery Door. Okay. And did Super Adaptoid really have anything to do with Factor 3? Nope. Oh, okay. Or he didn't have anything to do with the Mystery Door either. Okay, so all right, so that was kind of a that was kind of a throwaway story. You know what I think? What? Factor 3 is behind the Mystery Door. Oh. Well, I think we should hurry up and open this issue and find out. Well, okay. This issue, as the cover pointed out, is in fact entitled The Warlock Wakes. Yeah, and you know what? I am immediately struck by this artwork. Yeah, it's it's different. This artwork is not done by Werner Roth. As it states here, Werner Roth is he's he's going to town on I guess the next issue or something like that. The next issue must be mighty special. Yeah, I guess so. Because uh, what this issue is thirty, so the thirty first issue is always you know that's the big that's the big celebratory issue. Maybe he had a vacation. That could be. They were like, we need to give the artwork to somebody else while you take time off. So this issue uh, starts in the kind of in the middle of a story. It would seem. <clears throat> The X-Men, uh, there's this guy who's like clutching onto a wall, but then he's... Not sure why he's clutching onto a wall. It's pretty mysterious. Yeah. And then his hand, though, it's like a perspective shot where like the hand is like way out in front and it's like, he's like the puppet master of the X-Men, like pulling on their strings, although the strings are just like lasers. Um, I got to be honest, like the faces of the Beast and Cyclops are kind of lame, but the whole drawing and the perspective, I think, is really cool. And there's a lot of attention. Look, i got to be honest. Marvel Girl has never looked sexier. <laughs> she does look pretty good in this issue. Yeah, Marvel Girl looks really good in this picture, i got to say. I don't want to get stuck on that. So, But anyways, uh, the edit story was edited by Stan Lee, uh, scripted still by Roy Thomas. Jack Sparling is in charge of, des- excuse me, is in charge of designing. 
followed by John Tartaglioni. He's the delineator, which I can only assume is the inker. You're never going to get that name right, are you? He was the inker last issue, too, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Okay. You had trouble with his name then, too. Tartaglioni. <laughs> okay. And, I'm sure uh, you're pronouncing it right, actually. Just, just not fast enough? Yeah, exactly. Hey, Tartaglioni, give me one of those uh, mastacholis. Uh, Irv Forbush is the manicurist. And you have to admit that... Uh, uh, this man who has the giant hand here on first on the first page, he does have well-manicured fingernails. Oh, yeah, yeah. I wonder if that's why they mentioned that. Yeah, thank you, Irving Forbush. So the X-Men don't know what's going on. It's They're being drawn to this hand like a magnet. Mm-hmm. They think maybe they're hallucinating, they're confused. And um, this disembodied hand starts pulling them through some sort of weird space funnel. I want to stop again because... This is, uh, you're on page two, right? Yes. So, exactly. Um, we're not starting actually in the middle of the story. This is actually the beginning of the story. It's not like one of those ones where we've got like a splash page that makes no sense until later on or where we mm-hmm. did the first two pages and then we go back to the beginning. This is like, this is how the story starts. Uh, but I got to say, this first panel here, I think this is this is, this is is more representative of modern-day comic books where three-quarters of the page is dedicated towards one panel, and then there's a couple of other panels that are not quite um, squares, perfect squares. Yeah, the layouts in this issue are pretty interesting comparatively. Yeah, I mean, because um, Werner Roth, God bless his soul, he pretty much does six panels uh, per page and, you know, square boxes uh, and every now and then a full page splash. But never do we get kind of these oddly done panels. So I just wanted to point that out that I believe that this is the first more modern looking page in this comic book. And Marvel Girl, she's looking pretty good. Yeah, she looks really good in the third panel. She looks good in all three panels. I, I don't know <laughs> if this is uh, uh, Jack's doing or John's doing, but somebody spent a lot of time like... If as we go through this issue, like no time was spent drawing Iceman or Beast, but yeah. there was a lot of time spent on making sure how do those breasts look when she's falling straight down. <laughs> uh, and and look at Angel there; he is wow, he's ripped. Yeah, he's, somebody is very interested in drawing these kind of uh, very very formalized bodies, muscular, attractive bodies. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't know, amping Additional, up. like, art school bodies. Yeah. <clears throat> Anyways, not to detract too much, but yes, you're right. This uh, giant hand is pulling them through space. Yeah, a space funnel. Sure. Is that what they say? Or are you making... Are you well, they say it? a funnel, but I'm I'm calling it a space funnel. Okay. And it turns out that uh, Marvel Girl is being pulled harder than all the rest of them. Angel tries to fly after her as fast as he can, but... She's just going too fast. Angel's holding on to her hand, uh, but then they lose grip, and that's the second panel where, again, you know, she's looking pretty good. But she gets separated from Angel. Lots of attention spent on certain areas of her body. I got, folks, just go download this issue or go find it at your local comic book shop. Then you'll know what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so anyway, she gets ripped away from Angel, and then in the third panel here, uh, she's completely separated from the X-Men. And she needs to mentally contact the professor to find out what she should do next. Well, it turns out she doesn't have to contact the professor at all because as she is pulled through the 
uh, funnel towards the hand. The professor is waiting there for her. He's very dazed and confused. Marvel Girl is relieved to see him, and she looks like his subservient sex slave in the second panel. Yeah, that's a very odd position for the two of them. Her back is arched. Her chest is sticking straight out. She's looking up at him forlorningly or something like that. And she's got her arms draped around him. That's the main thing. And so the professor's like, I don't really... Oh, I was working in the lab, and I found myself in the void. And then the next panel... Marvel Girl clutches him closer, and he's clutching her, and it's just really weird here. They're they're scared. I guess, but it, it looks like they're like, before we die, make love to me. <laughs> no. Out of the void, out of the fog, out of the cloud arises the mighty warlock. Yeah, and he looks very menacing in this panel. He looks almost gigantic. Mm-hmm. It's another forced perspective thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, th- these first few pages have been very cool. The artwork is not stellar, but I'm I'm really digging the layouts and uh, some of the design choices. And even like the inking style that's going on here on the Professor and Marvel Girl in this third panel, it's a lot of attention was paid towards uh, sh- shadowing and such. Well, the detail of the Warlock's face is very impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This goes way beyond any sort of uh, Jack Kirby design. Lots of, lots of worry lines and such. This... Uh... John, well, who is it? John Jack? Jack's. Jack Sparling. Mm-hmm. He, um, he seems to be a very traditional art school student mm-hmm. or tradition, following the tradition of art uh, figures. It's not so, he's not so super heroic. These are, these are basic uh, art school figures. Hmm. Well, I like him. I dig him. Yeah, I like him too. The warlock says, my power has brought you here against your wills. And it shall be my power soon that will take over the earth. So the plot has been established. My question, and I don't, I hope that we get this answered sometime in the issue, is where are they? Hmm. Right now, I think they're in some sort of cloudy void. Well, they, Jean Grey pointed out that she saw some mountaintops. But in the next page... The next page I have a problem with because this menacing figure that was presented on the last page of the warlock suddenly looks like a dork well it's at this page that either jack stopped caring or the inker stopped caring because it everything just goes downhill at this point in my opinion in terms of (laughs) art layout and story and we'll get into that so you're right absolutely he was a big giant menacing man and now he's just he looks like a i don't know like a 19th century court jester like ah welcome to my land everybody i'm going to juggle and tell you a joke look at my cape (laughs) the professor reveals that his powers are nullified yep his powers. and then in the next panel it looks like um the the jean gray's head is in the warlock's hand he has literally ripped her head off of her shoulders and is just holding it there. And he's, like, making it talk by, like, moving the jaw up and down. <laughs> I love you, Warlock! Oh, yes, you do, baby. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's very, very oddly... Dr- like I said, the art and everything has taken a dive at this point. Uh, but he says that he's transported them uh, from out of the sky. Uh, and Marvel goes like, oh, it's like magic. And sure enough, uh, at the snap of some fingers, some pegasuses arrive out of nowhere they're beautiful she says the mm-hmm. warlock uh, and then the professor thinks to himself the warlock put Jean into some sort of trance mm-hmm. thus she can't use her telekinetic powers to free us we seem to be in the new england hills so they're in the new england hills 
Okay. For sure, they're in the New England Hills. That so that means like what? New Hampshire, uh, that east coast side of the country, New England Hills. Something like that. Vermont. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, and so, yeah, they can't find the X-Men, and uh, there's a little comment in here asking us if we're perplexed, and then somebody calls us a pussycat, and I don't care because I turn the page. <laughs> <laughs> Stick around, you hear? And they're flying on their Pegasuses. And who should show up but none other than Angel. Yeah. Which I gather because Angel was the closest to Jean Grey, and he tried so hard to keep up with her, that's why he has appeared here. So, I again, they were in a... They were in a space funnel or whatever. Uh, and the warlock drew Jean Grey and the professor towards him. How did Angel get anywhere? They never really explain it. <laughs> okay. Just that he was the closest, therefore he has now showed up. <laughs> so I got to imagine there's like a funnel output somewhere where he's just, he just popped out. It was like, oh my gosh. Oh, there they are. Hey, Jean. The funnel appears to be outputting wherever the warlock is at this point. Okay, it's invisible, and it goes wherever the warlock goes. And everybody travels through it at different rates. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So Angel came through second since he was the closest, and I'm sure the X-Men will show up at some point. I mean, this is an X-Men comic and all. Who knows? We'll find out. So the Angel's calling out to the Professor and Marvel Girl and saying, where'd you get those flying ponies, and who's that guy you're with, and... Warlock's like, ah, don't worry about him, baby. He's no concern to us. On second thought, let him follow us, mm -hmm. if he so desires. Perhaps we shall find a use for him. <laughs> Three-way. The wings make him freaky. <laughs> uh, Angel doesn't get it, uh, but he's he wants to investigate, so uh, he also... He realizes, too, that Genie is under a trance. Yeah, and he also says uh, that since Gene says, uh, Come along, Warren that she would never reveal his true name unless the character was controlling her mind. I don't have the time nor the patience to go back to the issue, but I'll bet you she's called him Warren once or twice throughout a mission. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not going to prove it. I don't care. Let's just roll with it. You're just like every nitpicker on Earth, not <laughs> willing to go back and get the actual evidence. <laughs> That's somebody else's. Folks, if you're listening, email in. Okay, anyways. Um, Go through all 29 <laughs> issues and tell us. <laughs> tell us, the people that are reading you the issues. <laughs> <laughs> Do our work for us, please. Angel decides that her mind is being controlled, so he asks the professor if his mind is being controlled. <laughs> to which the professor is obviously going to say yes. <laughs> he says no, and I, I got to be honest, when I first read it, I was like, it's going to say, no, Warren, and then it was going to say some cryptic message like, follow us, it'll be wonderful, you will be happy, but no. No, he's just not under his control. He's just not under his control, but we wouldn't know that, I mean, because, well, whatever. I get what you're saying. So they they come to a cave, which is guarded by a man in a knight's armor who is also carrying a Tommy gun. Riding a horse. Riding a horse. That's also decorated in, like, uh, you know, the Camelot-style skirt or whatever a horse wears. In medieval garb. Sure. There you go. The guard asks if, he, if, if Warlock wants him to kill Angel, and Warlock again says, no, there's no need. His presence amuses me. 
he doesn't uh, he's not afraid of any of these X-Men at this point. Super villains, for the love of God. Just shoot him in the face. <laughs> it's not going to happen. So they fly through the cave, and the cave leads them to a area filled with more winged horses and more knights with Tommy guns. And I think this guy's got a... Um, uh, Sniper rifle. No, no, no. It's a uh, bayonet. He's got a bayonet, a gun with a bayonet on the end of it. Yes. Um, everybody's perplexed. Um, At this point, they trade up their uh, horse with wings for some motor scooters, which well, are um, flying motor scooters or something. They're very strange. Well, before that, the Warlock says, Your puny minds cannot suspect the true genius of my scheme. Come, let us continue our journey. Uh, and then he says, uh, but first we must leave these mounts here and go with something more plebeian. Now, do you know what that means? No. Plebeian was like kind of a simple, uh, maybe like a peasant in a in a um, kingdom or something would be a plebeian, a serf or a plebeian. Very simple, not very eloquent or whatever. So what he's calling plebeian is these flying motor scooters. Wouldn't you rather keep, first of all, wouldn't you rather keep your winged horses? And second of all, if you were confronted with, like, winged scooters that you could fly around in, wouldn't you be like, yeah, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> I don't know if I'd refer to him as plebeian, but anyhow. Um, plebeius means of the common people. There you go. And common people don't fly around in winged... You know what they remind me of? Do you remember the birds in Joust? Well, that's the second time that has come up in this podcast. <laughs> really? Joust? Yeah, I remember they were uh, during one of the other issues. They were um, they were riding ostriches. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mentioned the birds in joust. Oh man, okay. Well, I mean, it looks like they're driving motorized jousts. These uh, one man hovercrafts are pretty cool. They're pretty stupid looking. If you, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like if somebody pulled up in my driveway and said, "Here's a stupid looking flying scooter," I'd be like, "This is the coolest thing ever." But style wise, they're pretty dumb looking. They're very sixties. <laughs> so the professor's on one. Uh, actually, everybody's on one except for Angel because uh, he can fly. So he's going to take them to his headquarters and explain his master plan rather than just killing them. Yeah, because he's not afraid of them and he, he wants them to witness his ultimate awesomeness. So they fly through yet another cave, which leads them to a castle which has what looks like submarines, bazooka people, crossbow people, snipers, anti-aircraft, uh, etc. Angel points out some radar equipment. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, the warlock says are they've been modified and they are now parts of my ultimate weapon. I gotta ask again, where are they? They're deep underneath New England. <laughs> All right, if you say so. This story would have worked a lot better for me if they were just in, like, magical land. Oh, I transported you to my realm, and soon our realm will invade Earth. Like, I, I could get behind, but I'm having a big problem with this whole premise here. Why don't you just pretend they're in magic land? Well, I'd I'm, buy that. Because I'm not convinced that the writer intended for them to be in magic land. And I don't want to <laughs> go making things up. Well, the professor just said it looked like the hills of New England. He He could have been wrong. All right, fine. Where did all these people come from then? They were transported over in space funnels. <laughs> okay. All right. So it's on the next page that uh, the warlock reveals his uh, origin. Yes. He is Merlin. Ah. The wizard? Yeah. The wizard. 
So he's Merlin the wizard, and I got kind of lost in this as well. So it says that he survived in a coma-like state. So he was Merlin from the old England, then he went into a coma, woke up, fought Thor in modern times, because I see a like a Capitol building behind him and glasses smashing. And then he went back into a coma for a millennium. And a millennium is 100 years. So where is he? And in what time is he? Well, I suspect the millennium is wrong. I'm so confused. None of this makes any sense. Now, okay, so then on the third panel, he's got like this giant spaceship. And he's like, I thought like at this point, he's going to be like, then I went into the future 100 years and discovered that I could just make a time machine and take over the world. So I came back in time. But no, it's... I don't know what's going on here. This is this is now, this is real time. This spaceship thing is his earth conquering machine or something. Well, two things of note. Okay. Um the warlock is a mutant, which means Merlin the magician was a mutant. Yeah. Which would make him the oldest mutant ever so far. Yeah. And uh as related in Thor 96, which was probably not that long ago. Let's say it could have been in the early sixties, maybe the maybe the late sixties. Um, but at any rate, definitely not a millennia. A hundred years ago, no. But see, even in the panel where he's fighting Thor, he's got his pointy little magician hat on. He's got a long beard and hair, which he does not have anymore. He says he was to sleep for yet another millennium. That was Thor's plan. Oh, he was to sleep for another millennium, but he must have woke up somehow. Yeah, he he was apparently awake the whole time. And, well, they make it sound like he was just afraid of Thor, and so he stayed pretend asleep. But 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 the guy with the mustache there on the left, well, I guess they all have mustaches, but the guy on the left, he says, look, the body of Merlin has returned. What do you mean? Yeah, it's like in a crypt in a New York museum, according to the caption. Oh. I guess the museum heads were just sitting around. Oh, no, the body of Merlin. It's gone. Oh. Wait for it. Wait <laughs> for it. Oh, look, the body of Merlin. It's returned. It does this every few months. It's kind of cool. <laughs> They're probably still waiting there. Look, the body of Merlin. It's gone. <laughs> Just wait for it. <laughs> Boop, there it is. Okay. Okay, so, all right, you're right. Upon realizing that Thor was now uh, away, absent from the Earth for many weeks, ah. he decided to wake up. That's what they make it sound like, anyhow. And then he changed his appearance. Sure, I buy all that. So on the last page, it says that uh, his machine there is for taking over the world and, and controlling minds and taking mere mortals backward in time mentally uh, so they wouldn't have the scientific weapons or the skills to oppose forces of the warlock. Yet here he is flying around with some float... I, I don't. Is this like... Is this happening, or is this like what he wishes would happen, this last panel? Uh, this is what happened already. So he did revert New York into ye old Englandites, because that's what it looks like to me. They're, they're in Manhattan, and there's a bunch of people wearing Robin Hood hats, and he's flying around in like a hovercraft with a, another guy with a big mustache, it looks like. Mm. No, this is this is what he's imagining happens. Okay, so this is what okay, this is what my utopia will look like. All right, okay. Yeah, exactly. And even Thor would would wouldn't show himself to confront me in my. He's really scared of Thor. All right, all right. I'm glad we got that all squared away. Confusing. 
Anyways, we move on. So he lets Marvel Girl know that uh, he's going to be his wife. <laughs> but basically, at this point, it seems like throughout the story, she's been slowly um, becoming more under his control. Now, so much to the point where she's not really responding to Angel or Professor, but only to the Warlock. She telekinetically halts Angel in his shoes. Because he's about to punch uh, Warlock in the face. Yep, at the command of the Warlock. Mm -hmm. The Warlock uses his, well, one of his many mutant abilities. We should start counting his mutant abilities. So one is mind control, and then one is mental power suppression. So that's two powers. Oh, he also has some finger blasts when he's fighting Thor. Warlock does. Yeah, well, and also... And he's oh, also has control of the space funnel. Space funnel control. Uh, and, and not only space funnel control, but he can selectively choose whom to drag towards him. So it's like the... Op- yeah. yeah, so... It's like six powers right there. He's a pretty powerful dude. Oh, plus he mentions his uh, mutant genius. Ah, ah, yes. That's like seven he's powers. really, really smart because of his mutant powers. And now he's got this power where he can stare into your eyes. And that makes you believe something, much like, uh, what was that guy's name? Uh, Myster- Mysterio? No, uh, Mesmero? The guy from the Brotherhood. Uh, the Vanisher? <laughs> oh, Mastermind. <laughs> Mastermind. <laughs> similar similar to Mastermind, he makes people believe things are happening that aren't happening. Angel thinks his wings are on fire, for example. And the professor reacts to that and says, Warren, there's water over there. Jump into it now. And it's at this point that uh, the angel realizes that, wait a minute, my wings weren't on fire. That was, a, that was an illusion, and the professor should have known better than that. What's his game? The professor also didn't see the water that he told um, Angel to jump in, so Angel starts to suspect, well, wait a minute, if he probed the land with his mental powers, That's right. maybe his powers are coming back. It's a lot of explanation for some unnecessary stuff. Yeah, because the professor's powers would not, his, well, whatever. His mental powers cannot probe the land for water. So then on page nine, the professor is crying. Oh, <laughs> sure not, looks like it anyway. He's not crying. He's got his hands on his face, and uh, the um, angel comes in and starts to ask him a question, but the professor says, Quiet. I only have a few seconds. Uh, so Warlock is now pouting in the second panel. <laughs> he realizes that his mental control over the professor has been broken, mm-hmm. so he has to run. <laughs> yeah. I need to powder my nose, Gene. I'll be back. But she's under his control, so he's uh, so she's kind of immobilized and just standing there. Uh, so he now just uh, reveals like an eighth power. He can self-teleport. But for some reason, this power is not at its peak. Not yes. sure why, but hey. Well, even the warlock's got some limits. <laughs> but even though it's not fully restored, he can traverse short distances. So he's able to, instead of just walking through the door to check out what's going on with the professor, he teleports into the next room. I mean, he couldn't have gotten that far. Indeed. The angel is holding a now collapsed professor, which the angel with his thought balloons reveals is some sort of ploy. Not quite sure what the professor's up to, but if he can't stop Warlock, no one can. I, I don't know. So the angel says, got 
got to sound convincing. In other words, the professor said, Quiet, Warren, I must concentrate fully. I may only have seconds. And then during this whole thing that the, uh, broke the connection and the teleporting, must have said, Angel, I'm going to collapse out of my chair. You must cradle me. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, at some point, he must have verbalized some type of plan. But, you know, the professor, he's always like, quiet, shut up, boy. I'm thinking. Well, it's, it was code. Oh. Quiet, Warren, I must concentrate fully. I may only have seconds. Warren means, Warren, I'm going to collapse and you need to cradle me. I'm surprised he didn't say, execute plan A7. <laughs> All right. I think Warren would be plan W7. Ah, there you go. So, uh... The warlock is a little skeptical at this. He doesn't quite understand what could have happened, so he commands uh, the angel to carry uh, the professor to his mind-probing machine or something. He says, if you guys are lying to me, I'm going to kill you. With the, so this Which... is... Yeah, right. I don't. This is another part I don't quite get. So he takes him to the mind-probo machine, hooks him up, but then uses, like, mind powers to go probe his mind. <laughs> he needs to lie him underneath blinding lights. Oh, okay. It helps. That's how his power recharges. Oh, and apparently he has mental wave power. Yeah, m- mental waves of almost indescribable intensity. It is revealed what the professor was doing in that, that second that he told Warren to be quiet mm-hmm. as the X-Men shown up. Okay. Or, <laughs> the X-Men have showed up. This is what... This this is this is another thing that I have a problem with. So, the war- warlock is oh, either he is truly in a coma state as I once was, or, and then somebody instead of just stabbing him in the back of the head, says, "Or else your little game is finished, warlock." Giving warlock a chance to turn around and say, "What? The X Men?" They don't stab people in the back of the head. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> He's evil. He kidnapped their mentor and their their friend two of their friends <laughs> something shoot him in the back of the head wrap him in an ice block that he'll just break out of with mental waves well the x-men are a little confused right now i imagine all right fine so it is truly the x-men cyclops says looks like our floating in a void is through <laughs> so yeah they've been literally floating in the void and again i where are they are they on earth <laughs> We're here, wherever that is. Exactly. Where the hell are they? Magic land. All right, fine. They're in magic land. Uh, And then this is where Beast, uh, I just got really tired of reading his ramblings. This this particular bubble isn't so bad, but he's very wordy, and he starts using even bigger words than normal. So I'm pretty (laughs) much going to ignore the Beast for the rest of the issue. Okay. <laughs> uh, but anyways, uh, the the professor reveals that they materialized from out of negative space, where the warlock left them when you and Jean were captured. So presumably they would have been trapped there forever without the professor's help. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> so it's a good thing he got some powers back. No kidding. And told Warren to shut up. And how did he do that? How did he mentally propel them from negative space to wherever they are? You know what? He just did. <laughs> Not explained. Doesn't make any sense in terms of his mental powers. All right, he just did. <laughs> Good enough. <laughs> All right. So on the next page, uh, Warlock whips around and he hypnotizes or whatever he does. He yeah, he uses eye beam hypnotism, mental powers. 
Yeah, to make them, to make think, them th- think they're stuck to the floor. Mm-hmm. The warlock has unbelievable quasi-hypnotic abilities, Scott. Thanks. <laughs> but the uh, warlock, he points out, he says it doesn't matter. You can tell them all you want. Uh, my powers are so strong that even if you tell them an illusion, their minds will not allow them to believe that it's an illusion so that they will remain stuck. He says that now I had planned a tournament for the angel, but the tournament will now be for all of the X-Men. Come with me, Professor. And the Professor now turns on his portable legs. Remember those? His, yep. His mechanical legs. I thought they broke. In this panel of from the feet side of uh, Professor X as he's walking after the warlock. Yeah, it's kind of like a, he's wearing some flood pants there. It's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and it just kind of looks like he's shuffling his feet. I don't know. That was. Well, you know, he's getting used to walking again. He's worried he's going to fall and there's not going to be like mechanical tentacles to catch him. And then the warlock says, because your mutant protégés cannot hope to win, Xavier, the warlock shall make you a wager. If the X-Men survive my tournament, I shall cancel my plans for an invasion of your modern world and return to my crypt. So he must have like some big monsters that he's going to have fight the X-Men, something that he knows for sure are going to be the X-Men. Yeah, this is going to be an epic battle. I mean, if he's willing, first of all, I think it's silly that he's even offering up this wager because it doesn't really look like the X-Men have much choice in the matter anyways. Uh, (laughs) But since he's so sure of himself... It's gonna be, it's it's gonna be awesome. This is gonna yeah. be the greatest battle of the X Men ever. I can't wait to see what it is he's got in store. I mean, it's gonna be more powerful than Magneto, Sentinels. Oh my god, Banshee! Wow, yeah. it's gonna be crazy. It's gonna be off the hook, everybody. The uh, warlock leads the professor off to the arena. It's at this point everything gets a little blurry for me. Oh man, it blurred out many pages ago but yeah you're right it gets it gets really confusing at this point the warlock and the professor go to watch from the arena uh from like the top of the arena where they can watch the battle that's about to ensue the slaughter perhaps Mm. yeah and um beast bumps into a guard and flips the guard over and throws him at the warlock yeah who telekinetically shields himself, which is another new power. There's a lot of panels here and a lot of words, and really all that's happened is they walked out into the arena and the dude got thrown at the warlock. Although I got to say that the third panel of Beast being poked in the butt by the spear is kind of funny looking. (laughs) He should, instead of being like an assault from an unexpected quarter, realistically you should be saying ye ouch would be my caption (laughs) (laughs) wow take a look at the way hank's tossing that hood will you that's terrible dialogue i know look at the way someone is doing something (laughs) (laughs) and uh the beast then then the beast responds and look at my target it's the warlock up there with the professor (laughs) like he doesn't know but he also says since i don't always employ my considerable brawn it's gratifying to see anyone take proper Cognizance. Ah, okay. So, in other words, the beast is a little bit stronger than we had initially uh, thought. I, I think. Yeah, he's been hiding his strength for some reason. But uh, yep, Warlock mentally repels the guard. He falls to the ground. Uh, we go to the next page where we see um, the Warlock mentioned that your opponents are going to be way stronger than this guard beast. Mm-hmm. That wasn't even a sample of a test. You just wasted some of your strength. 
Exactly. So on the next panel, it's 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 like ye old England. They're sitting in the uh, the observation. I don't know throne box. There's a big flag underneath them. The X Men are looking up at them, kind of wondering what's going to happen next. Uh, and then Warlock says, "This tournament is for you, my dear," referring to Marvel Girl, who has no waist. <laughs> and, it, and and I got to point out one other thing: it must be really cold in Camelot or wherever they are. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. She could cut glass. <laughs> the X Men comment that they can't use their strength to attack the Warlock yet because they might kill Jean. Scott says, "Yes, but when the time comes, we may have to." Mm. And Angel says, well, you talk like you don't care what happens to Genie Sykes, to which Cyclops replies in his head, if only Warren knew how much I care about Jean, that she's the girl I love. I only pray I don't have to choose between her fate and that of a planet. Hmm. To which I say, how about a universe, Scott? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> Charging out from somewhere comes a horseman with a jousting jouster thing and who calls a beast a monkey face yeah 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 scott says uh it's one of those armored hoods on a horseback scatter and i'll this is where beast says vetoed scotty i didn't realize that this was a democracy and that (laughs) beast had veto authority beast is ticked off look if i was he was called a monkey face and so it's his he gets to target him if i was part of this squad Oh, you 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 would you would establish ranks and you wouldn't be breaking ranks. A team that doesn't work together dies together. Yeah. <laughs> Do you hear what I'm saying? So anyways, the uh he charges after the uh the guy with the joust and the jousting thing actually turns out to be like a laser projector. And Pew! he yes, he shoots at the beast and I'm sure it makes that noise. <laughs> pew pew. Well, actually, it makes a brack noise. Okay. Brack. Fine. Um, with, a, with a mighty spoing, Beast kicks the guy off of his horse, lands on the horse, and um, some more guys on horses come out. Yeah, this is the awesome battle, uh, I and, think. Um, this is, let's just cut to the chase. Oh, no, the no, no, X-Men no, no. handily Don't. take care of them. <laughs> Don't cut to the chase. There's some good stuff in here. So Beast is riding a horse uh, uh, quite accomplishedly, and he calls out to uh, Iceman and says, take care of those guys. And so Iceman makes a big ice rink, and one horse, everybody slips on the ice. One horse is practically upside down. <laughs> Another guy is about 30 feet in the air falling straight down. I don't know. This is just an amazing, like, why don't Iceman's powers, why aren't Iceman's powers this effective in every battle? <laughs> it's a great panel. This is that horse is just completely. Uh, he's going to be upside down soon. He works really well against horses. And then you're right. Cut to the chase. Uh, uh, Cyclops says, "Oh, to heck with this! I'm just going to blast everything," which he does. He blows all the uh, armored troops with their guns off the walls. Who are watching? Beast grabs the curtain that's hanging down into the uh, arena and jumps up into the. Well, the the where the uh, the warlock and the professor and Jean Grey are watching. And he's expecting a congratulatory kiss from the lady of the tournament, namely the help me out here, Pulchitrudinus. Oh, I, I don't think that's a real word. Marvel girl, <laughs> look, somebody looked this up in a thesaurus, and it must. It must be. Uh, 
a synonym for beautiful or something like that. Pulchitrudinit. This is where, like, so many sentences of his use words like this where I'm like, I don't even want to read what he has to say anymore. He's contributing nothing to the story. I think at this point, Beast's just making him words. That's a delightful dichotomy, schmigaroon, you got there. <laughs> uh, and so he, I don't understand, he's got this uh, sheet, and he's going to, I don't know what he's going to do with the sheet, but the Warlock's like, uh, that sheet's not going to do much. <laughs> well, he used the sheet to swing up, so he's still oh, holding okay. on to it. Somehow I sense I should do something, thinks Jean, but my mind seems so tired. Ah, so she's working her way out of the hypnotic haze that the Warlock has put her under. Uh, and the warlock blasts the beast in the face. Finally, somebody gets blasted in the face with his finger lasers. Yeah, he's got finger lasers. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. I think he used those against Thor, so I don't think we can count yeah, this yeah, as a new power. Yeah, it's not a surprise, but still, still cool. Oh, uh, these are his telekinetic force bolts. Right. This right. power parallels only that of Marvel Girl. But <laughs> is developed to an infinitely greater degree. In other words, my power is better than your power. Exactly. Uh, so the beast kind of recoils backwards. Iceman makes him a little twisty uh, ice slide so that he can safely slide back to them. Which normally, Iceman creates slides as he's riding along them. Mm-hmm. And it looks like here he just threw this slide up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like he uh, created it in front of him. Like he literally just like poof. Oomp. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the best way to describe it. Boom. And so the X-Men do their classic rush attack. <laughs> where everybody runs after the warlock. The warlock takes off. Right. It actually says, uh, Cyclops calls it here. Right. Everybody rush at once. That way he can't use his bolts on all of us. <laughs> so somebody's going to get blasted, but Cyclops is cool with that. <laughs> He's like, what? I got a good chance it's not going to be me. One in four. Come on. <laughs> I like these odds. Let's go. Uh, and so... The warlock for all of these powers, and you know, I'm still waiting for this awesome arena menace to come out. But he, he turns tail and runs away. I've used up my awesome arena menace. Damn, <laughs> I, I should have thought this more out. Those guys on horsebacks. I was so sure they could beat the X Men. <laughs> and so uh, he goes. He he runs away with Marvel Girl up a spiral staircase, and again, you gotta say, you know, this drawing of Marvel Girl is pretty seductive. <laughs> Doesn't really leave much to the imagination, if you know what I'm saying. Some gates close, and Beast runs into them. The Professor's got his is slowly getting his powers back. Yeah, you gotta if you look through this this comic book, and you take out every image of the Beast, never once is he portrayed in any sort of attractive or heroic pose. He's either being poked in the butt by something or running into something or falling over or being flung away. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, he did take out the guard and the the guy on the horse. Okay, I guess that was his good pose. But that was like way in the distance. You could barely make out who it was. Yeah. So Cyclops says, stand aside, Beast. Let me take care of that. He does, handily. And then he picks up the professor and they start running. So why is he picking up the professor? Oh, Angel says, let's go. I'll bring the professor. But why? He has his leg things working. That's a good point. And they actually show it in the third panel there, that little con- control box. Those are his yeah. leg control. Maybe the batteries ran out, Adam. Do they just feel like, you're too slow with your legs. Yeah, I'm going to carry you. This will be much faster. So as they blast through the door and run up the stairs, some pocket-sized projectiles come flying down the stairs. 
packed with economy-sized explosives. So now the warlock can generate pocket-sized projectiles out of thin air. <laughs> Chalk that up to another power. They're heading straight towards Iceman. Iceman makes a little curved, standard curved ice shield to redirect the projectiles. Which are handily blocked by uh, the warlock with some telekinetic powers. Yep. Jean Grey realizes the X-Men could have been killed. I must resist the warlock's mental spell. I must. And it's at this point that the professor decides that it's now or never. He now, now he decides that it's time to purge his brain of the last vestiges of warlock's control. Which he does, and I suppose he's going for a mind wipe here, but um, they, the two of them are immune to each other. Yeah. Uh but that's okay because Warlock, he's got more than just mental powers. He he telekinetically knocks over a castle turret uh, on top of the X-Men. Uh-oh. It looks like this is it for our X-Men. Yeah, they're going to die underneath a rock slide. This is the end of the issue. All right, everybody, email us. Oh, wait, no, it's not the end. Jean Grey knocks them out of the way. The, the rocks crash into the ground. She finally has come to her sen- senses. When I saw those deadly projectiles rocketing toward you, I finally came to my senses. Now we can take on that murderous mutant together. All right, so so this is uh, page 18. They've all now decided that they're going to take out the warlock. Let's see what happens. So on the next page, uh, warlock's pretty mad that his queen has broken the control, so she is going to dispose of her with a single mental bolt. A single lethal mental bolt. Right. He's going to kill her. He's mad. Uh, But Cyclops shoots him in the face. (laughs) Look at the image. He shoots him in the face, and he falls over. And then in the next panel, he's like, oh, man, my my head. And then Beast, in another kind of unattractive pose, does a Jean Grey move and covers his face with his cape. Yep. He stole that from her. And then uh, basically Beast takes care of the rest of this by wrapping him up in his cape and restraining him. To which Beast says he's uh, he's pretty tough. Even even this guy without his powers, he's pretty rough. This is I'm having a hard time uh, restraining him. And uh, then Professor, I guess, mind wipes him. Well, the, the Professor says, uh, "Angel, move me closer." Okay, that's close enough. I must use all my concentration. Okay, it's done. So, in other <laughs> words, his powers are not proximity based. He, he needs to be yeah. oh, just another three feet. We'll be good. And uh, and it's it's over. Well, I guess he didn't mind wipe him. He put him back in his comatose state. But it's over. It's literally it's over. So there's one more page uh, where they wrap up, they they uh, they ice up some guards, and then they walk out of the cave. And the professor flies one of those stupid looking uh, uh, scooter planes. It's a pretty classy panel. I like this last panel. I especially like the professor in this panel with his tie blowing in the wind on his silly little... This last panel reminds me of... uh, Do you remember like when you would read those old comic books and they would be like, coming this fall on Saturday morning, Super Friends, (laughs) or Spider-Man and his amazing friends. If like the X-Men had a show in that genre or in that that time frame, it would have said, X-Men and their amazing friends. And this would have been like the poster for it. It is so. Why does Angel have a mummy? <laughs> it is. Well, who cares? I mean, because they're fighting mummies now. They're like they're like uh, super powered Scooby Doo team mystery hunters. I don't know, but th- it's such a cheesy panel. Everybody's got a dumb expression on their face. That the scooter plane is just horrible looking. 
Iceman just like, hey, everybody, stay in school. <laughs> I'm taking a dump. <laughs> yeah, he's squatting over. Uh, and it, Okay, and then also the professor reminds us, he's like, oh, we got to get back home because remember, Factor 3 is still out there. Yeah, the professor makes a speech. I'm just, all I'm saying is, where are they? <laughs> <laughs> how, how, um, where are they going in this last panel? Are they going back to the negative space so they can go back through the time funnel back to wherever it is they were kidnapped from? Or are they literally in New Hampshire? Must be in New Hampshire because <laughs> they're, they're walking back. <laughs> <laughs> they're running, actually. Well, you know, and the professor's fly, flying. And the professor's got a new scooter thing. And so does this scooter thing actually exist? Does that castle actually exist? Is there a place now in the Marvel Universe that these people can go where there's people in, in ye old England suits with Tommy guns? It's like the Savage Land. It's, it's just in New England. Yeah, but the Savage Land has an explanation. This has no explanation. I don't know where they are. I just hope that the professor keeps his scooter. No kidding. I hope this makes a return. I hope this actually replaces his wheelchair. Yeah. It's like, oh, don't mind me, everybody. He's like flying around in the danger room just because he can. Uh, a monumental victory has been won here today. For without the powerful brain of the warlock, his time-reversing machine is useless, and the world of humans is safe one more. But we can never relax our vigilance, for there are other evil mutants, including those which are under the domination of Factor 3. How does he know Factor 3 have... Mutants. I don't even know. I, mean, I guess they had Banshee, so he just assumes that there's more of them. I don't even know. I bet Professor controls Factor 3. <laughs> Professor X is running Factor 3 just so that the X-Men have something to do. Professor X is keeping Factor 3 behind that door. Ah, okay. All right. I'm, I'm with you. I hope that's the case. So anyways, it appears that next issue we will be fighting the menace of the Cobalt Man, who must be a member of Factor 3. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I think he's a second-rate villain of Iron Man. Oh, well, all I can say about this issue is it reeked of throwaway content. It started out so good. I mean, not just the art, but the, the story was compelling. Like, what's going on? This is actually interesting. I can't wait to find out what's going on. And then it just got super convoluted. Uh, on page three or four, it took a huge nosedive. Um, and as I pointed out, after they freed Marvel Girl, it took one page to defeat Warlock. And all they had to do was wrap his cape over his head. Well, you know what we can call this? One victory for the X-Men. The X-Men definitely won the day. That is true. I think this might be their second victory. <laughs> they didn't bumble their way into the win. Uh, and nobody else beat them for them. Yes. Impressive. X-Men 2, Villains 27. <laughs> All righty then. Well, anyways, uh, folks, I hope you enjoyed this issue, uh, listening to this issue more than I enjoyed reading it because it was, a, it was actually a pretty bad read. <laughs> but I hope that uh, you go and take a look at the webpage. As we mentioned, I think last week we've got all of, uh, not all of, but uh, some of the choice panels that we spend extra time throughout the episodes talking about, and we post those up there uh, for you to take a look at. So if you don't actually have the issues in hand or are listening to this uh, on your lunch breaks or at work or what have you, that's a good place to just see what we're laughing about or what we think is kind of neat looking. That's right. And you can leave us a review on iTunes. Um 
so that we're easier to find for other people. Uh, also, uh, I found a neat thing. This is a cool little trick for you podcast people out there, for any podcast. Uh, if you got your iPhone, uh, and Android has a lot of options for this, but if you have your iPhone, go get a program called uh, Downcast. And I'm not shilling for them. They're not a sponsor or anything like that. But go get Downcast, and then you can go search podcasts. You can type in Danger Room. Uh, we're the first result that shows up in Downcast. I don't know where they pull their information from, but we're there. And you Ooh. and you can subscribe to, to Danger Room right there on Downcast. And every time there's a new episode, it will automatically, without iTunes, without synchronizing, without any fancy tools or anything, synchronize or like automatically download to your iPhone. That's how I listen to my podcast. It makes things so much easier because I don't have to connect the cable to the computer, do the iTunes synchronization, and it's just there. So there you go, folks. Bowie. Bowie's out. <laughs> and, of course, you can go to facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast and look us up on Twitter at, at Go Danger Pod Room. Go. <laughs> go Podcast. Yes. Go. Go Danger Pod Room. Go. <laughs> okay. That's what it is. I I questioned Adam about that name, but he ensured me that that was going to get lots and lots of hits. And, I, you know, it really hasn't paid off yet, but we'll see. Uh, anything else? Negatron. Uh, until next time, the Danger Room is closed. I'm reading G.I. Joe. I'm on issue 110, I think. And I think you've gotten to the point where it stops being good. <laughs> no, it stopped getting being good for a little while. There's, it was really bad for, for about seven, eight issues, ten issues. But now G.I. Joes are dying. They're being shot, and Doc got oh, shot yeah, in the face by a issue. saw viper. I was like, what? <laughs> Quick kick got killed. I was like, what? Are you reading the letter, letters pages? I'm, I don't think I've read... Uh, I don't think I've read the letters page for that particular issue, but I've been kind of skimming the letters pages as I get to them. Well, in the letters pages, they keep requesting, this This comic isn't very realistic. Nobody dies. Right. So finally, Larry, Larry Hammond just got pissed off and was like, fine, Here. I'm going to kill off some Joes. And then he killed off seven Joes in one issue. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah. And yeah, then it's... Another thing, After the Saw Viper epic, it's going to get pretty bad. Oh. Um, the other thing I couldn't quite tell is uh, there's there's the whole uh, Cobra Commander saga, if you want to mm-hmm. call it that, where he's shot by Fred Seven, but then he comes back. And in the issue where he comes back, he says, oh, Fred Eight was out there, and he found me, and he dug me up, and he brought me to a Fred Doctor. There's a scene where they show the Fred Doctor digging bullets out of Cobra Commander's back and his face is facing the front of the panel and he looks like a Fred. 
Oh, really? Yeah, and I was like, was that Cobra Commander's face? Does he look like a Fred? But then there's a letter in there, and like a few issues later, it's like, oh, it's so cool that Cobra Commander's a Fred. And Larry Hammond's like, he's not a Fred. What are you talking about? <laughs> so it's like, wait a minute. What, what about that panel that's drawn there where somebody's clearly digging bullets out of somebody's back and you're narrating a story where you had bullets pulled out of your back? Isn't that you? Oh, weird. I know. I don't remember that. I'll have to like email you the panel or something. You can have it <laughs> for whatever sake. Okay. Uh, gee, thanks. 